Good evening. Thank you for coming back this, this evening. We're continuing our study in the book of Revelation. We're in chapter 5. After just looking at chapter 4 that contained the throne, the throne room, and now we look at the Lamb who was next to the throne in Revelation chapter 5. We start with a description of the scroll. The scroll was indeed a scroll and. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, that I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. The scroll was under God's control. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll. So the scroll is in God's possession and it's in his right hand, the hand of authority. The scroll was a full scroll. Both sides of the scroll contained writing. It says it was written. Well, then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back. It was very rare in antiquity for both sides of a scroll to contain writing. Such a scroll was cumbersome to use. You can imagine uh, unfurling a scroll and turning it over and unfurling it the opposite direction. So it was cumbersome to use, and such a scroll was made of expensive materials. A papyri scroll could not withstand the wear. Papyri is nothing more than weeds that are put together to make something that would be akin to paper. Uh, that wasn't adequate for a two-sided roll. It would require a scroll made of animal skins with two good sides. And that, of course, was more expensive than just one side of it animal skin. The scroll mentioned in Ezekiel was also two-sided for what it's worth. Ezekiel 2, 9, and 10. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it, and he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back. And there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. So there is much in common with this scroll that we find in the book of Revelation. A two-sided scroll was called an epistograph. Just threw that in for sake of penetry there. And you never know when you're going to be in a trivia test. And I'll tell you, if you know that, you'll be one of a kind, all right? So keep that in mind, epistograph, two-sided scroll. Application. Here we're to see how the word of God is valued or prized, even as many people have expensive leather-bound copies of the Bible. Uh, we're getting them on our devices and so on, but uh, there is something about having a leather-bound Bible, and uh, many people don't have bonded leather. They have genuine leather. And then there are all kinds of leathers, Morocco leather. Uh, there are Bibles that you can spend $700 on. Uh, that says something about the way that you value the Word of God. Well, here we're, we're to see that this was a precious scroll. It also provides durability as well as beauty. So the scroll will last through the ages. Number two, 
The scroll was sealed with seven seals. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, <clears throat> sealed with seven seals. The seals would not be placed on the two ends of a scroll, uh, excuse me. <clears throat> the, the seals would be placed not on the two ends of a scroll to hold it together, but rather on the scroll, edge of the scroll, to mark off sections of it. So if you can picture a scroll, uh, and you might picture the seals of where the scroll comes together, and sometimes it was sealed there uh, in order that uh, it would not be opened. But when it refers to these seven seals, most likely they're not seven strung together, but rather they're on the edge of the scroll, and I'll describe that in just a moment. B, this was done to delineate certain sections in a long scroll. One cannot page through a scroll to quickly find one's place like one does a book. Thus, the seals served as a bookmark. They serve the same purpose as a cloth ribbon in many Bibles. So as you would open it, you could quickly open it to the second seal without having to read everything that uh, went before it, and they could open it to the third, third seal as <clears throat> in like manner. So D, therefore, this scroll was going to be unfurled in parts with the judgments coming in at different times. Revelation 6, 1, I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked and behold, a white horse and his rider had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I saw the herd, the second living creature say, come. And so <clears throat> we have these seals being broken or opened one at a time <coughs> over an extended period of time. So we see these, these judgments are going to come uh, not simultaneously, but over a period of time. So the scroll was a scroll filled with judgments. Number two, the unique authority associated with the opening of the scroll. A proclamation was made to find someone worthy of opening the scroll. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? <clears throat> no one in any realm was found worthy to open the scroll. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. So there was no one worthy found. There was sadness and not finding anyone who was worthy to open the scroll. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. The lamb slain is found worthy to open the scroll. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. So that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, and seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. The taking of the scroll was a cause for great rejoicing. 
and hope in heaven. The sadness had turned to joy. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So a description of the one worthy to take the scroll is identification. He is identified as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. The lion of the tribe of Judah was the Messiah. Genesis 49, 9 and 10. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, referring to the rule, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So this lion of the tribe of Judah is the Messiah. The root of David is an allusion to 11 verses 1 through 9 of the book of Isaiah. And this passage becomes pretty fundamental in understanding this section of the book of Revelation. It, it sheds a lot of light on this particular uh, portion of scripture. So going back to 11, 1 to 9, I'm going to uh, read the uh, first 12 verses. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees. Or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fat of the calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant, the remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Number three, he is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in that passage, 
There, as I say, a lot to do with this particular section that we're in, and I'll, I'll demonstrate that in just a moment. But it also foreshadows other aspects of the book of Revelation, including the Millennial Kingdom, uh, which you know comes in uh, Revelation 19 and 20. Uh, so um, we're going to be coming back to this passage in weeks to come. His description. He is the crucified lamb that was slain. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. This worthiness to open the scroll was directly related to his having been slain. He had the seven spirits of God. Then I saw a lamb. Looking as it had been slain, standing at the center of the income throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out on all the earth. The horns seem to represent his rule. He has seven horns. Uh, repeatedly, I, I just gave you one passage, Revelation 17, 12. We looked at the book of Daniel and other places, but repeatedly in prophetic sections, horns represent rulership. Revelation 17, 12. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour. So the horns seem to refer to his rule. The eyes seem to represent his understanding. He has seven horns and seven eyes. There are Seven of the horns, there are seven of the eyes, which represent the seven spirits of God. For notice it says, verse 6, Between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns, with seven eyes, and then this, which are the seven spirits of God. Now notice it doesn't say, and the seven spirits of God. But it says that these, these horns and these eyes, which are seven each, correspond to the seven spirits of God. And I said it refers to his rule and it refers to his wisdom. So what are these seven spirits of God? Well, if we go back to our Isaiah passage, notice this. Starting in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Shall shall come forth a shoot from the stem of Jesse, a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and, number one, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Two, the spirit of wisdom. Three, understanding. The spirit of four, counsel, and might, five. The spirit of knowledge, six. And the fear of the Lord, seven. So I'd submit to you these seven spirits are what is referred to in Isaiah chapter 11. These are seven qualities, if you will, of his, his uh, rule. These are seven qualities of his kingship. And they are summed up in his, his rule and his, his wisdom. And then you see all those characteristics of that rule 
in Isaiah chapter 11. His going out into the earth represents the way in which these seven spirits or characteristics of God will be manifest in his rule and dealings on the earth. For notice Revelation 5, 6. And through and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. This corresponds to Isaiah 11, 4, and 5. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and the faithfulness the belt of his loins. So this sending out is the manifestation of this rule that is described in Isaiah chapter 11. So all of these things are starting to be unfurled. All these things are starting to come to pass. This is the inauguration, if you will, of this particular ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. C, a consideration of the Lamb's worthiness. He is worthy to open the seals. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. A, the seals mark seven judgments which are going to come upon the earth as delineated in the next chapter. So we'll get to that in uh, chapter 6. Christ is worthy to have all judgment committed unto him. John 5.22 For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So these seven judgments that are going to come upon the earth is a part of that designated role that the Son, the Lamb of God, has been given. This is his bivouac. This is his auspices. This is what he is to do. I've already read uh, Isaiah 11, 4 and 5, so we'll move on. Number two, the reasons for the Lamb's worthiness. Jesus is worthy because he has triumphed over sin and death. Revelation 5, 5, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered. The conquering here, as I say, is, is sin and death. Uh, he was the lamb that was slain, but he rose again. And in rising, he indeed conquered sin and death. Jesus is worthy because he has redeemed us. Um, verse 9, sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. One of the great verses in the book of Revelation that speak about how there's going to be uh, people uh, in heaven from every ethnic group on the face of the earth. Uh, Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me. And uh, he is going to have people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. Jesus is worthy because he is ruler over the kingdom. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they shall reign forever and ever. 
So, Jesus is worthy to be worshipped. Jesus is worthy to be worshipped by all. Verse 11. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. B. Jesus receives the same accolades as the Father. Revelation 5.12. Same with loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Now, uh, and I should have underlined, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory. In chapter 4 of the Father, it says, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. So, the same accolades, the same praise, the same glory that's given to the Father is given to the Son. Jesus receives the same worship as the Father. Revelation 5.13 And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that was in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. And what I want you to see is they worshipped the Lamb and they worshipped the one who sat on the throne. They worshipped Christ and they worshipped the Father. I could have given a lot of New Testament references at this point, but I think you know them. Unless you, uh, if, you don't not, if you do not honor the Son, you do not honor the Father. Uh, we can look at those of those passages. But what is significant is, uh, for me, uh, if you encounter a Jehovah's Witness and uh, their position is that Jesus is a God, but he's not the God. And they say that we blaspheme him and we blaspheme the name of God when we worship Jesus Christ. And that only the Father is to be worshipped. Here is an incredibly definitive passage in which all of heaven, not just fallen mankind, that can make mistakes, but all of heaven is worshiping the Lamb. The one that was slain. This is significant. For now we're talking about the God-man. Now we're talking about Jesus Christ. Now we're talking about not just the worship that he received in all eternity, past, for he was the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, but now, as the God-man, as the lamb that was slain, he is worshipped. John chapter 17, Jesus said to the Father, glorify me with the glory which I had with you before. That same glory that he had as the second person of the Trinity 
he now has as the God-man, which is in keeping with Philippians chapter 2 that says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And here we have this display of every knee bowing, of things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth, and proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. He is the ruler of this great kingdom, and all to the honor and glory of the Father, that at the one and the same time that the Father is being glorified in the same words that Christ is being glorified. So while this seems like a, I don't know what it seems like to you, but what it really is, is a tremendously a theologically profound portion of scripture that speaks of the appropriateness of worshiping Jesus Christ, the God-man. And we see that worship in heaven and that responsibility, that role that God has given to him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we just ask that, uh, Lord, you would cement in our own hearts and minds the worthiness of Jesus Christ to receive honor and glory and praise. Uh, Lord, help us to bow our hearts in submission before him, even this very night, and acknowledge that he is worthy. He is worthy of our all. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. All rule and power and dominion has been given unto him. And so, Lord, may we give you uh, the authority even over our own hearts and minds tonight, bowing and giving you that praise, knowing that one day this great unfurling of the scrolls is going to take place and your rule in a very active way is going to be inaugurated. We look forward to that day in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.